The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. The scripture reading today is Judges 3, verse 31. It's a very long reading, so bear with me. Judges 3, verse 31. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines within ox goat, and he also saved Israel. This is the word of the Lord. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Judges 3, as you might not have had time to make it there uh, earlier. So yes, Judges chapter 3, uh, because we're going to look at something in Judges 3 that's a little bit different than what we've seen over the past couple of weeks. Sorry about that. Over the past couple of weeks. Um, in fact, you might... Uh, have been just a little bit of confused just a second ago when you heard uh, Lizzie read just one verse for today. I mean, the reading was over so quickly, uh, your heads might have been left spinning with just a couple of questions, like, who in the world did I just hear about? What in the world happened? Like, how did it happen? Why did it happen? Uh, it, it felt like the reading was over before, you know, I could even get my Bible open, and I'm just left asking who, what, how, why? This is because today we are encountering our first minor judge. Okay, so far, uh, throughout our study of the book of Judges, we've done some introductory material, but then we've encountered two judges, and they have both been major judges, Othniel, and then last week we saw Ehud. And we know what to expect whenever we encounter one of these major judges. We get a six-step cycle of sin and salvation. We kind of know what the basic plot line is going to be. It's going to go rebellion, wrath, regret, rescue, rest, repeat. We've gotten that cycle twice. We're going to get it four more times in this book for a total of six major judges. However, sprinkled in along the way, we will encounter six minor judges. And, and here's the deal. They're, they're not called minor because they are unimportant. It's because they clearly don't get major page space right here. Like, like their stories can barely be called stories at all. They're not spelled out for us in that six-step cycle of sin and salvation the way that the major judges are. No, we get minimal details, minor details about these minor judges. That's exactly what we see right here in Judges 3.31 in just this one single sentence. Look at it again. After him, that's after Ehud, the major judge we read about last week. After Ehud was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. One sentence. Why is it even here? Why are any of the minor judges included in this book? Why? Like that is the quintessential question. And I believe that it has an answer, one that we need to slow down in order to, to see. So instead of just reading through this sentence at breakneck speed, leaving our heads spinning with questions, who, what, how, why, let's slow down. Let's try to answer those questions one at a time so that we might ultimately see the answer to the quintessential question, why? 
we might ultimately see why this sentence is even here in the first place and why we need it. So, first, let's just start with the question, who? Who? Who is this verse even about? Who's the minor judge that we are meeting? Read it with me, slowly. After Ehud was Shamgar, the son of Anath. Who? Meet Shamgar, whose story is really unlike Ehud's, whom he's set next to. Like, we're reminded of Ehud right as we begin this one sentence about Shamgar because we're supposed to set their stories like right next to each other. And they could not be more different. If you were here with us last week, then you know that Ehud had quite a story in which we literally got to see God's salvation unfold in slow motion. Like we got, with Ehud, we got like a play-by-play detail of all of his escapades. Not so with Shamgar. We don't, we don't like it to stroll through his story in slow motion. No, it's more like we kind of like wave at his story as we drive by it so fast that we don't even think it's a story of salvation at all. We'll miss it if we blink. But honestly, that's, that's what most of life is like most of the time, right? Like if I compare the story of my life to these two stories in front of me, most of the time... My life doesn't feel like Ehud's story. My life, I don't know about yours, but it doesn't feel like it's moving in slow motion where I get to see how God is at work every step of the way in all the little minor details, and it's just all so clear. No, for me, most of the time, feels like I'm just waving at my life as it is flying by, and I'm lucky to catch a glimpse of what God is doing, if at all. Anybody feel me? Can I get a witness? Like, life moves so fast that I think we often miss God at work. In other words, life is a lot like Judges 3.31. Moving so fast, I'm left asking, is God even actually at work right here in this singular verse? I'm left asking in my life, is God, in, is God at work in me, through me, around me? Like Judges 3.31, life seems to leave me with a lot of questions. I mean, sure, we asked who. We said this verse is about Shamgar. But that still leaves me. That just stirs up more questions. Who is Shamgar anyway? You want the honest answer, Shades? We don't know. Scholars will argue back and forth all day about who this guy is. We really don't have a clue. We got guesses. His name, uh, his name doesn't conform to traditional Hebrew spelling. So we're like, okay, maybe he wasn't an Israelite, but that's unlikely. That would make him the only non-Israelite judge. We find his name in lists of uh, Hurrian names. The Hurrian people were a northern Mesopotamian people. So some scholars are like, okay, maybe he was Hurrian. We don't know. The only other clue we get to his identity is he's called Ben-Anath, the son of Anath, which could mean, okay, maybe his dad is named Anath. However, that's a feminine name. Maybe his mom was named Anath. But, come to think of it, could refer to a place, 
Bethanoth was in the northern region of Israel. Maybe it's just saying he's from there. Or, or, Anath was the name of the Canaanite goddess of war who was worshipped beyond the borders of Canaan in places like Egypt. In fact, Egypt had a military division of their army that were called the sons of Anath. Even some Hurrians served in that Egyptian division. Maybe, maybe Shamgar was a Hurrian serving in the Egyptian army as a son of Anath. Or maybe not. Maybe he was just an Israelite with a weird name. We, the point is, we don't know. And apparently this wasn't always the case. Apparently, you rewind the day to back in the time of the Judges, and apparently people knew exactly who he was, because his name only gets mentioned one other time in the book of Judges. You'll find it in Judges chapter 5 and in verse 6. That verse begins this way. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath. In other words, apparently this guy was so well-known, his exploits so well-known, that you could date things by him. Like the, This is like saying, in the days of George Washington, in the days of Cleopatra, like we all know where and when we're talking about because we know the details of these people's lives and stories. Trust me, 100 years from now, ain't nobody going to be going, in the days of Jonathan, son of Tony. <laughs> Apparently, the details of his life were known pretty well, but those details, even the details of who this guy is, have been lost. Lost to, to history. And shades, all we can do is guess. And again, we see that Judges 3.31 is a lot like life, leaving me with a lot of questions. And not just the question who, let's ask our second question. Now that we got an unsatisfying answer to the first one, bet that's what's going to happen with number two as well. Second, ask, second question, let's ask what? what. What did this mystery man, Shamgar, even do? Let's keep reading slowly. Shamgar, son of Anath, who killed 600 Philistines. What did he do? Killed 600 Philistines. Well, finally, feels like we're starting to get some answers to our questions. But are we really? Or are more questions just being created by the little amount of information we're given? We're really not told much right here. This is actually the first time that we hear about the Philistines and a conflict between them and the people of Israel in the book of Judges. There's a lot more conflicts between them to come. Now, the Philistines will end up being like Israel's primary rival for control of the land of Canaan. Hello? The Philistines, they arrived in Canaan roughly not too long after the Israelites. The Israelites came over land, Philistines came over sea and really populated the area along the Mediterranean coast, what is modern day we, we call the Gaza Strip area. This is the first conflict that we see happening between them. But do we really have enough to go on here? Does this just cause more questions? Like when did this conflict even take place? At the very end of Ehud's story, remember Ehud from last week? If 
you just go right up just one verse, read the end of his story, at the end of his story, we read that the land had rest for 80 years. So does this conflict take place after that? Maybe. But if you look at the next verse, the first verse of chapter 4, you'll read about Ehud's death. So does this conflict take place during the 80 years as a way of maintaining that, that rest that the land had? When does the conflict take place? Where does it take place? Is this along the coast or is it mainland to prevent a Philistine incursion? Why does the conflict take place? Does Shamgar fight alone against 600 men? That'd be pretty stank impressive. Or is he fighting alongside of others? I just... I have so many questions, and there are so very few answers. We see this even more if we ask our third question. We have asked who, we have asked what. Third question, how? How? How did Shamgar kill 600 Philistines? I mean, the, the Philistines were known for ruthless military might. So how did this guy do it? Again, let's read slowly, Judges 3.31, after Ehud was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad. How did he achieve victory? With an ox goad. Again, finally feels like we're getting a straight answer to one of our questions, but again, this is an answer that actually only causes a lot more questions. Like, first of all, what's an ox goad? I mean, the word goad, okay, we know what it means to goad someone, to like prod someone or metaphorically poke at them, to egg them on. Well, an ox goad is used to do just that, but, but with an ox. It's a tool for prodding an ox to keep them going when they're plowing. It's basically a, a sad excuse for a spear. It's... it's it's like a long pointed stick that sometimes would have like a little bit of a metal tip. So as you're plowing, instead of using a whip, you prod your ox along. Now I have all sorts of questions. Like, why was this Shamgar's weapon? I mean, if he was a professional Hurrian soldier in a division of the Egyptian army, wouldn't he have had professional weapons? So does this mean he's more likely a rural Israelite farmer? just used whatever he had? Had he lost his weapon? Used whatever he found on the side of the road? I mean, why an ox goat? And how? How do you defeat 600 ruthless, mighty Philistine warriors with a pointy stick? Again, I'm left asking, did he do this alone or was he a part of a larger force? We don't know how this guy achieved victory. Shades, we don't really know who he is. We don't know what he fully did or even how he fully did it. In fact, the questions who, what, and how have only caused us to ask more questions, ultimately causing us to wonder all the more, why is this story even here? Why are any of the minor judges included in this book? Why Shamgar? Why? That's the quintessential question, and it's our final question, and the only one with a rock-solid answer. Shades, read it one more time. Judges 3.31. After Ehud, 
was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad. And he also saved Israel. Shades, we, we may not know fully who Shamgar was, fully what he did, or how he did it, but we know why. For the salvation of God's people. And we know it wasn't really him who achieved such salvation. I mean, through all of the judges we've seen thus far, the Moshiachs, the saviors, we've seen that there is one who is ultimately the savior working through them, God. And that's no different here. God is the one achieving salvation through Shamgar. I can prove that even though the text doesn't say it. Judges chapter 10 and verse 11, God speaks to his people and he says this, did I, 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 did I not save you from the Egyptians, from the Amorites, from the Ammonites, and from the Philistines? Shades, at that point in the book, at Judges 10, that can only be referring to one thing, what we're seeing right here in Judges 3.31, and God says, I did that. That was, that was me doing the saving through Shamgar, through an ox goad, which is what makes it obvious that it was him. The Lord loves to work through weak and weird things so that it is obvious that it is his power, his might, his salvation. In other words, Shades, what we are seeing in Judges 3.31 is God at work saving his people. And if you blink, you'll miss it. And I think that's the point. I think that's why this sentence is here. So that we might see God is always at work accomplishing his salvation, even when our eyes don't see it, even when we miss it, or even when we forget it. Most events in my life and your life are a lot more like Shamgar's story right here than they are like Ehud's that we read last week. Most events in my life, I can't remember all the details of who, what, or how. Even the significant stuff that has happened in my life, most of my memory of it has been lost to history, but even there. Even there, Shades, when I can't see it, don't remember it, or forget it, even there, Shamgar shows us God was at work. For his glory and our good, he is always at work, accomplishing his saving purposes in your life. We get this message thrown at us through Scripture constantly, even from the first book. Think of the life of Joseph given to us in Genesis in great detail. Is it not given to us so that we might see God is always at work, especially and even when we can't see it? Is that not how Joseph himself looks back on his own life? 
looks back on his brothers betraying him and selling him into slavery, him being sold to Potiphar the Egyptian, him being falsely accused and imprisoned for years of his life. Is this not how he looks back on all of that at the end when he looks on all of it and he says, God meant all of that for good? You, my brothers, when he's reunited with them at the end of his story, he says, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. He used it all to get me here into Egypt into this place, so I would be put into this position, second in command, so that I could save you from the famine that was going to spread throughout the entire land. Joseph looks at the bleakest moments of his life and says, even there, when I couldn't see it, God was working. Joseph could have authored that song that we sing, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. It's the point. God is always at work accomplishing his saving purposes in your life, Shades. And Shamgar shows us he's doing that even in the times in your life that cause the most questions. The times that feel as enigmatic as Judges 3.31. The times when, when there are sentences of your story that you don't even know why they are there. There are events that are part of your life that you don't even know why they are there. Judges 3.31 shows us that even there, especially there, God is active in accomplishing his saving purposes. Even when you don't see it, understand it, or even when you don't believe that it's possible. What you're experiencing, I don't believe or see how it could be possible that God is at work here. I promise he is taking the most unlikely parts of your life that as unlikely as an ox goad he is taking those and using them to accomplish his purposes he is a god who specializes in using strange and weird things to accomplish his salvation in judges alone we're going to see him use ox goads tent pegs clay jars torches trumpets foxes a donkey's jawbone for crying out loud. He's going to use all those things to accomplish his salvation. But Shades, don't just read through Judges. Keep reading your Bible. His tools that he uses, God's tools that he uses to accomplish salvation only get stranger. Next Sunday, Shades, next Sunday is the first Sunday of the season of Advent. We are entering into a season where we will celebrate God using a manger to accomplish his salvation. But just keep reading. His tools only get stranger. He'll use spit and mud. He'll use fishermen. He'll use loaves. He'll use fish. He'll use parables. He'll use water. He'll use wine. He'll use stormy seas until finally he uses the strangest tool of all, a cross, to accomplish salvation for all who will come. You want to talk about a place where people, the disciples, couldn't see possibly how God was at work accomplishing his salvation for his glory and our good. Disciples couldn't possibly see that at the cross. Shades, but yet at the cross, God works his greatest, most beautiful, most righteous act of salvation ever. I promise, Shades, because of the cross, I can make this promise. Even when you don't see it, understand it, or believe it is possible, God is taking the most unlikely parts of your life, the ox goads, the mangers, and the crosses, and he is using them to accomplish his saving purposes. I know that's true, and I know it's true for you. 
once again because of Shamgar. That's why he's here. That's why all of the minor judges are here. To make sure not only that you know the truth of God's salvation and that he is always working to accomplish it, but so that you know it's true for you. Do you remember? I told you in the beginning. Do you remember how many major judges there are in this book? Anybody? Six. Sprinkled throughout. Do you remember how many minor judges there are? Six, bringing the total number of judges up to 12. Why in the world would our author want to make sure he sprinkles in just enough extras to get this number up to 12? Israel as a people is made up of 12 tribes, and thus all throughout Scripture, the number 12 consistently becomes symbolic as a number that stands for all of God's people. In other words, our author includes these six minor judges as a way of saying the truths you are seeing. The truths you're seeing about God's salvation, they are true for all of God's people, including you. This is why. This is why Judges 3.31 is here. And it's why we need it. So that we might see God is always accomplishing his salvation for all of his people, including you. Even, Even when life is passing by so fast that we don't see it, we miss it. Even when life is giving us more questions than answers, even when all the details are forgotten and lost to history, even then he is working all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose, even amidst mangers and crosses and even with ox goads and shamgars. God is always accomplishing his salvation for all of his people. So roughly one year ago, Um, An event occurred in my life that some of you probably never even knew about. And even if you heard about it, I would imagine nobody in here would remember what I'm talking about unless I remind you. Uh, About a year ago, on November the 1st, 2021, uh, my grandmother died. I don't think any of you would know her name off the top of your head. Edith, Edith LaRue Henry. What a name. I don't think you'd know where she was born or what she did. I don't think any of you would know the mountaintops and celebrations of her life, the tragedies, the valleys, the sorrows. And don't feel bad. Like 99.9% of this world wouldn't know anything. To to 99.9% of this world, my grandmother's story would read like Shamgar's. And to that I say, exactly. Exactly. For through every single unknown moment of her life, through every highlight, through every sorrow, God was at work, Shades, accomplishing his salvation. Through Through her meek and mild witness, my own father and mother were pointed to Christ. 
And as a result, they have faithfully lived their lives, pointing others to Jesus. I wish there was a way to track every single person they had pointed to Christ and who they are pointing to Christ now. You know, they pointed me and my three siblings to Jesus. My three siblings who have lived all over the world. Korea, Scotland, Peru. I'm the only one that uh, my, my foreign country I made it to was Alabama. I grew up in Georgia. But even, even me, like, Shades, if God has ever, if God has ever worked in your life through anything that I have ever said in this place, if God has ever worked in your life through any single sermon to just show you just a little bit more of Jesus, then he has worked his saving purposes in your life through Edith LaRue Henry. How many manger-like moments of seeming insignificance did she endure? How many crosses did she carry that, that had to cause all sorts of questions in her life? How many sentences of her story read like Judges 3.31, leaving her wondering, who, what, how? How is God at work here? And yet, Shades, I can stand before you today and testify to the why of her life, that God was always at work, always accomplishing his purposes for his salvation for all of his people. That's true in Judges 3.31, it's true in my grandmother's life, and it's true in yours. In, in the places of your life that that are like Judges 3.31, saturated with unanswered questions. In the places of your life that are saturated with unanswered questions, cling to this truth, Shades. Right there, right now, you have a Shamgar. You have a Savior who enters into those very places, into every single part of your story. His name is Jesus. And through the craziest ox goad, the cross, he has wrought salvation. He is the who, the what, the how, and the why of your life. Who? Christ. What? Salvation. How? The cross. Why? Love for your good and God's glory. Shades, God is always accomplishing his salvation for all of his people, and he does it all through Jesus. That's what we ultimately see in Judges 3.31, and that is what we ultimately need. Pray with me. Father, I am grateful that every single part of your word, every single sentence points to you, points to the truth of ultimate significance, the truth of Jesus. And I praise you that that means that you will redeem every single sentence of our lives and give them ultimate significance in Christ. You waste nothing not a moment. And I pray that even in the moments that are saturated with so many questions that we can't answer and we'll never know the answers to, I, I pray you'll bring to mind Judges 3.31. And that we will trust your promise that even there, when we can't see it, you're working. 
even when we can't feel it, you're working. I pray that in the midst of those moments, wrestling with questions, you will help us cling to the cross. The place where above all others, it looked like salvation was impossible. The very place where you accomplished it. Let us cling to the cross as a promise. You will accomplish your salvation in every area of our lives. We love you. I pray we've seen a little bit more of the beauty of the gospel and our hearts have been led a little closer to trusting you. Always. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, by your spirit. Amen.